Well, I mean, I changed over time. But um, the funny thing with me is I was playing older roles when I was your age. So um, when I was in my 20s, I would play 50-year-olds. So the joke I make frequently is that I've got 35 years experience playing 50-year-old men, you know, (laughs) which is good because now that I am, and that means, you know, maybe it gives me a leg up over an average 50-year-old actor, you know, because... Yeah. Uh, I lay on the scary, you gotta glow, gotta glow, you gotta glow. She had my attention, she gotta know. Hello, welcome everyone to another episode of the Let's Gather podcast. I'm your host Zeke, and this episode I have Ray Buffer to speak about being an actor. You can find more things about him by clicking the link in the description below. I'll update for a content warning for any channel language used in this episode. I hope a nice day and enjoy the show. And I give you the floor to introduce yourself to the audience. Thanks very much, Ezekiel. My name is Ray Buffer. I'm an actor uh, out of Long Beach, California. I am originally from Florida. Um, I grew up there and left um, Florida for California in 1999. I've been out here since um, just working in the arts industry in one capacity or another. Just before the pandemic, I decided to focus more on my personal acting career. So I've been uh, not not directing and producing as much as I was before, now focusing more on just uh, acting. Cool, so we can get into the first question. What got you into acting and like the performing arts in general? Sure. Um, you know, I have to credit my teachers. You know, I was, I was like a lot of kids, I think in junior high, high school, you know, not really sure where you fit in, what, what you should do. And um, something about uh, music attracted me initially. Um, so I was um, compelled to play violin in fifth grade um, in a feeder program in elementary school. And then when I went to middle school, that same teacher was there and I continued in orchestra. Um, that led me down a road where I was introduced to singing choral music. And uh, by the time I got to eighth grade, that's where I was introduced to drama and theater. And um, and the concept of musical theater, the combination of two things that I was beginning to really like, music and theater. So by the time I got to high school, uh, that was um, kind of the pivotal point where I decided, okay, this is what I want to be when I grow up. I want to work in musical theater. I want to work as an actor. Nice. And what about acting keeps you in, interested? Well, I mean, there's always something different as an actor. You know, um, a lot of kids, I think they grow up saying, oh, I want to be a cowboy or an astronaut when I grow up. Well, when you're an actor, you can be a cowboy and an astronaut. You can be anything you want to be on any given day. So I think um, I think it's afforded me a lot of um, expression, a lot of a lot of ways to um, express creativity over the course of the past few years. Um, not to say that, you know, actors typically have a type. And so I will typically get certain types of roles. I, I don't think I've ever played an astronaut yet, but, um, you know, typically I'll get bouncer roles or security or cops or villains um, because I'm a big guy, tall and I'm wide and I have a deep voice. Uh, I tend to get those kind of roles. And with those roles, do you bring anything from yourself into them or do you go into each role completely different and try to figure out what to do for the character? 
Yeah, I, I think it's a, a mixture of both. I think you you kind of want to approach it from the idea that you want to make it different from yourself. You want to you want to see what 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 the story is expressing this character is and kind of use that as a framework. But I think once you've created that framework, then you let yourself ooze into it. So, um, you know, maybe maybe there's certain phrases the character is scripted to say that don't fall off your tongue quite the right way. But, you know, if you yourself were, were, were saying it, it might be a little bit different. So you start to put some of those nuances into it. And typically directors are pretty flexible. They like um, they like you to bond with the material and kind of you know, merge a little of yourself in with the character so that the character comes across more natural and not so regimented and robotic, you know, because sometimes, you know, depending on the experience of a writer, um, all the characters might sound like they're speaking with one voice um, because the writer might not be really delineating the characters a lot. So, so the actor, the the personality of the actor is sometimes what makes those characters a little more different and separate. Got it. And with acting, do you ever like get self-conscious or like stage fright or you just, it just kind of comes naturally to you? Yeah. You know, there's, there's, there's some schools of thought there. Um, I was just at a workshop the other day and um, the instructor was talking about, um, being nervous and using that energy to kind of guide you and infuse you. Um, but no, I don't, I don't get butterflies anymore. And I think that's because I'm comfortable. You know, I, I think, I think that if you don't feel prepared, you know, if you feel like you procrastinated and didn't really do your homework and now you've got to step up and show people, you know, what you know and what you don't know, I think sometimes that leads to butterflies in the stomach and that leads to um, being unsure or anxiety. Um, so I, I, I just try to be very prepared so that, that, that isn't even it's in my mind, it should, it should feel like any given day being myself. If I'm prepared enough for a character, I can walk into a room and essentially being the character is just being myself, even if that character is different. Do you know what I mean? It, it just comes to you naturally. And, and that's, that's the point you want to be at as an actor. You want to be able, even when you mess up, to mess up in character and to mess up, um, to recover from that in character so that it's not, doesn't look like you're unprepared. Yeah. All right. I was just thinking about if you do become an astronaut, would you have a bouncer astronaut who has to protect the other, like a bouncer astronaut who has to protect the other? bouncer astronaut, yeah. Who throws the bad astronauts out of the capsule and lets yeah. them, lets them <laughs> suffocate in space somewhere? Yeah. yeah, I'd be the bouncer astronaut. That would be cool. Nice. Because for me, I get um, stage fright. Like, I manage it over time. But like, when I get, like, nervous, I just lose all my emotions and just get things done. Mm-hmm. That's well, that's the adrenaline, right? That's yeah. the adrenaline making you focus. And that's that's kind of what this instructor was saying, you know, in, in his class. But I think every person is a little bit different. You know, some people just don't, um, they don't have the same anxieties that other people have. So um, 
to each their own. But if I think that the secret is that if you do get butterflies, if you do get that anxious feeling before going on, that you funnel it, that you use it to focus, like you say, maybe maybe that means, you know, pulling emotion out of your system. Although, you know, if the character needs to be emotional, you need to use that emotion. So I think it's just directing that energy in the right place. And it's like practicing and reading a script. What is like what goes into like reading a script? Is this like knowing the words, knowing mannerisms? Yeah, I mean, knowing it backwards and forwards. I mean, um, you know, I, I'm I'm in rehearsal now for a, a jukebox musical. Um, you know what that is? The jukebox? I know what a jukebox is. A jukebox musical, though. No. In terms of theater, so it's basically just a um, it's a, a musical that um, uses pop songs, songs, songs that weren't necessarily written for the theater, but were written for radio and it uses them in a musical theater capacity. So I mean, I'm in rehearsal now for a jukebox musical. It's a country Western uh, jukebox musical. So I have three songs that are very fast patter songs that I'm having to memorize and, and prepare for. Um, and I, there's a variety of different methods I would use to, to learn these over the next two months. One is obviously listening to the songs over and over again, trying to subliminally, you know, learn them. Um, but also writing them out, I find is is helpful. Like maybe having the lyric sheet near me, but then trying to do it from memory as, you know, even if it's very slowly writing them out, uh, because that gets the brain working a certain way. Also, um, not just listening and writing, but it's important that you develop muscle memory muscle memory can carry you through a performance because if your mouth knows what to do sometimes you can zone out and just go on autopilot but the muscle memory will take over so it's important like especially for fast songs like these that i have to do that i i do exercises i i say these songs right i sing them maybe i do them at double speed even um, so that you're training yourself to do them so quickly that it becomes effortless to do them in tempo. So, yeah, there's a variety of things. And, you know, if it's lines, sometimes I'll record all the parts and leave a hole for my own part and use that as a, a way to learn. Um, but everyone has different kinds of memorization techniques. And there's there's no one way to do it right. It's what works for you. Yes. Makes sense. And then with the senior part, do you have to be, do you have to, Learn how to sing, or do you have to know how to sing? Or, uh, well, I already know how to sing. So, um, and but but oddly enough, a lot of these songs are patter songs. So patter songs are like mostly spoken songs, almost like almost like an early form of rap in a way. If, if you've ever seen the Music Man, uh, Harold Hill, that character, he has patter songs. Oh, you got trouble, my friends, right here. I say trouble, right here in River City. They're not sung per se but they're spoken in rhythm, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, some of the songs that I have to do in this show are patter songs. So knowing how to sing is good because there's still a timbre to, to how you speak the words. There's a certain pitch that you want to hit and, and there's inflections you want to use. Um, but also rhythm is important because you got you to fit the words in in the right amount of time. Um, so yeah, it, it, takes, it takes practice and, and training and um, if I were coming into this show not knowing how to sing, I think it would be challenging. Got it. 
there's so many skills you have to learn or have to have known to make it. Yeah, and I mean, I rarely nowadays do theater uh, because live performance takes so much time to rehearse and so much time to perform and doesn't necessarily pay as much comparatively as the amount of time you spend filming a commercial or a TV show or a film. But I just feel like after maybe about five years not doing a live show that I needed to challenge myself again and kind of get out there and, and change things up. So looking forward, it's a show called Heavenly Country. It opens in March, plays through for a month um, to the end of April um, in Studio City, California. So Nice. And you have like 40 years of experience, right? What what was the yeah, what was like, the, the question? You have like about forty years of experience, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah, thereabouts. I mean, yeah, I was probably about thirteen, yeah, when I started, and I'm fifty three now. So, you know, not all that experience is necessarily acting, 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 mm -hmm. acting. I did some other things in between. Um, you know, I I, um, I worked for other companies. Um, you know, in behind the scenes, I did uh, marketing and development for. Uh, the Laguna Playhouse for a short while, worked as a general manager for the Long Beach Opera. And those experiences led me to decide to start my own arts company. So I, I had a company called The Relevant Stage, where I produced musical theater for about five years. And I also was in a few of those shows. And then I also had a company with a partner called Art and Relation uh, here in Long Beach, where I live. And I uh, ran that for a few years before the pandemic hit. And uh, and like I said, I think to you earlier, that's when I went back and started focusing more on me as an actor and less on um, the directing and the producing side. Got it. And how do you like continue to like find different roles and stuff when you're in your career? Well, I, I hope that they find me, um, but you know, I'm getting to the point. Um, you know, I submit, I submit for for parts every day. I look at breakdowns and. I, I look at things that I might be a 70 or 80% match for, and I submit for it. And sometimes uh, someone will contact me and say, you're perfect for this. And I'll think, wow, I didn't really think I had that much of a chance of being perfect for that. But they see, you know, you can't, you can't uh, control how someone else perceives you. Mm -hmm. And that's the main thing as an actor that you have to realize is that the type that you think you are, isn't necessarily the type that someone looking at you perceives you to be and what you're perceived to be is inevitably what you're, what the types of jobs you're going to get offered. So as, as bitter a pill, it may be to, to swallow, you have to accept what others perceive you to be. And, you know, I think that's worked for the past couple of years for me because people see me as the villain cowboy or, you know, the, the second henchman from the left or, you know, the Russian guard or the cop or the, um, the dad, you know, I get dad roles now. So I have to accept that and, and, and capitalize on it and submit myself for every one of those types of roles that come along. And, you know, hopefully I get a few. So yeah, things have been staying pretty constant for me. I, I can't, I can't complain. Nice.
they're like, oh, you guys poke chose me? Oh, my God, thank you. Yeah. Oh, really? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's, um, yeah, it's a lot of work. You know, being an actor, the work, the real work of being an actor is auditioning, is doing all the self-tapes and submitting everything. You know, I, I've gotten a routine now where, you know, my girlfriend goes to sleep around midnight or so, and so I, the dogs are put away and then they're asleep and the neighbors aren't making noise and there's no there's no leaf blower or grass trimmer or kids screaming uh, outside my unit at midnight. So from midnight to 3 a.m., if I have self-tapes or auditions I need to do, that's a great time for me to videotape them and submit them. And so, you know, you develop routines, um, ways to create what I call a pipeline, you know, um, that's a sales term, you know, pipelines, if you ever, if you ever work in sales, it's like you, you have leads and then you call them and then you have potential sales. Then you have the sales that are, that are pending. And then you have sales that are made and you follow that pipeline. And so the same thing is true with, with acting. You've got auditions, you've got callbacks, you've got chemistry tests, you've got, you know, days that you're going to shoot, you've got days that you shot. Then you've got post-production, then you've got film festivals, then you've got premieres, you know, so there's lots of little, little things along the way that you have to keep doing to kind of perpetuate the whole system. Makes sense. And I was thinking about how, how you, the roles you're getting now, there was, I'm assuming it was different from when you were younger and they're going to be different as you get older. As... You're asking me what, what is different? Yeah. Like the different roles, like, as had they changed over time? Well, I mean, I changed over time, but um, you know, funny thing with me is I was playing older roles when I was your age. So um, when I was in my twenties, I would play 50 year olds. So the joke I make frequently is that I've got 35 years experience playing 50 year old men, you know, <laughs> which is good because now that I am, and that means, you know, maybe it gives me a leg up over, an average 50 year old actor, you know, because um, of being a big and tall guy, you tend to get older roles. So in theater, I would have to put age makeup on a lot. Um, film and TV, they just throw a little white in your hair, you know, it's, it's you know, so I, um, I, I don't begrudge where I'm at. I, I never expected to be a leading man, you know, so there, there was never be, some cops that I can conceive of were lead character. I'm always probably fated to be a supporting character. Um, and I'm happy with that. You know, character actors are some of the most interesting actors out there. Got it. So what is like working behind the scenes? Like how you said before, you was working in different jobs. Yeah. Well, that was mostly in theater. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, dire I directed and produced um, some productions. What I found that I didn't like about doing it was when I was in the production too and directing it, I found that very hard um, because you can't turn off your ears. You can't, you can't stop being a director when you're on stage trying to be an actor. Uh, and what I mean by that is like, you know, you're always listening. You're always hearing, you know, if there's a, someone that's in the cast that's complaining because there's not enough water to drink off stage, or someone's complaining because their costume is too tight or too big, 
Um, you know, you hear those things and yet you're still trying to focus and be an actor in a scene on stage during rehearsal. It becomes very, very hard. Um, so I, I've, I've decided, especially with age, that I, I prefer to just be the guy that shows up, is ready to do my job as an actor and just be an actor and not have to worry about all those other production uh, issues. Um, in terms of film, um, I, I did direct and, and kind of co-write a, a documentary back in the early 2000s. Um, and I felt like that was an interesting experience, maybe down the road um, after I've, I've kind of worked as an actor for a while, I might want to explore directing uh, a film or directing, doing more documentaries. Um, uh, it was rewarding uh, doing that, that, but, you know, sometimes you, you do something and you kind of feel like, okay, been there, done that moving on. And I think at that time, that's how I kind of felt. So who knows, you know, down the road, things may change and I may get a desire to do that kind of work again. Never know. So never know. Yeah. As I see, like it's more, it's just like it's easier to focus on one thing than focus on multiple things at the same time. When you're, I got yeah, it. and you know, as you get older too, your your focus is kind of um, strained. You know, it's a little harder to memorize things now. Um, you know. Age age does has have have its effects, but you know, you drink lots of coffee, you can pretty much do anything. And then during the pandemic, how did that affect your career? Well, uh, you know, a lot of people that I work with or around, it it hurt them a lot. For me, I, I worked a lot during the pandemic, and I, I don't really know why. Um, it seemed like there were a, a lot fewer productions, a lot fewer commercials being filmed during the pandemic. Um, but the ones that were being filmed, somehow I got work on, you know. And so, you know, all I can do is, you know, knock on wood that that happened and uh, not complain. Just kind of just try to keep moving forward and doing whatever I was doing then, hoping that it continues. Yeah. What about you? What did the podcast affect your your? Uh, I mean, did the did the pandemic affect your podcast at all? Um, no, it just um, it was in person at, at the beginning where I was um do people in um New York like the, my my college I was working there, and then when the um, pandemic happened, I just switched to online. And it was like, this is actually everybody if they still interested, just in case you know you never know what happens in their life, and then mm -hmm. from there it just became like um online. Yeah, I think for actors, um, the big change with with the pandemic was that um, you know we didn't go to in person auditions as much, you know, and that was kind of a nice thing because when you think about it, you know, you have to get in your car, you got to memorize the script, you got to drive, you got to fight traffic for a couple hours, then you got to find a parking space, you got to hope you don't get towed that the parking space was legal, then you go in, then you sit in a room with a bunch of people that look just like you. And they're all looking at you thinking, wow, you look just like me. And then you sit there staring at each other for like two hours. Then you finally go in, you read, you do your, you do your audition. Um, it takes maybe five minutes to do that audition. And then you're out, 
then you're back, you know, in your car, you're taking the ticket off your windshield, you're cursing life, <laughs> getting in your car, you're fighting traffic, you're going home. So that's a whole day, you know, wasted on one audition. But the pandemic, I think, opened things up to where we can do five or six auditions in a day. You know, we can self-tape and send that in. You know, like I say, I what audition could I go to from 12 midnight to 3 a.m.? But that's when I can do my self-tapes now and send them in. And then, yeah, the callbacks might be in person. But even a lot of the callbacks back then were Zoom. Um, and even chemistry tests were on Zoom. So I think that the industry has changed permanently in some ways. And um, yeah, I do go in person now a lot more than I did during the pandemic, but it's nowhere near as often as before the pandemic. So there's kind of a hybrid thing going on now where it's majority self-tapes, but some in-person stuff. How does it feel like when you go into audition in person and you see so many people who have similar features to you? And you just like, they found everybody just like me? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a bad habit to play casting director in your brain because I've walked out of a couple rooms, you know, where I've I've gone and I sat down and I see like two guys out of 19 that are in the room with me that I know are absolutely perfect for this role. And so I tell myself, well, really, do I want to waste time, you know, competing against these two guys? I'm just going to leave. But really, you do yourself a disservice in doing that because you don't know. You know, they these two guys might get in there and stumble. The the casting director might not like them. Um, they might find out um, that they're not available on the shooting dates, or they have a conflict, or you know, some other issue that you don't just see when you're sitting in a waiting room looking looking at them across the room. So you really it behooves you to follow through uh, and not psych yourself out. You never know what could happen. Never know. And, you know, a lot of my best opportunities have come from being a second choice. So what I mean by that is someone else might have been cast initially and then a conflict comes up or, you know, they they stumble over their feet and screw up and piss off someone and get fired. And then I'm the guy that gets called because... You know, I was I was good. I was a contender, but I wasn't their first choice. Um, and that's okay. I mean, that's that's the way jobs work, you know. And and then you know, I'll get that job, and then they'll say, "Wow, we really should have picked you to begin with," you know. And and that's nice. You know, it's a nice compliment. Um, and usually they mean it. Sometimes <laughs> sometimes they don't. But but it's always good, you know. And I don't begrudge it. You know, you can't you can't. You can't take a job and then say, well, but I wasn't your first choice. No, it doesn't matter. You got the job now. So that's all that matters. <laughs> you guys are wrong, but now you're right. I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Do you have a favorite performance that you've done? Um, I, I don't really. I mean, I, I try to find something I really like about everything that I that I've done. You know, um, I directed a production of Footloose um, a few years ago uh, on stage, a musical version, and I played um, um, Reverend Shaw, which is the father who who doesn't want to allow dancing in the town, and um, 
he has some very interesting songs, um, a very emotional arc. I, I guess probably the roles that 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 have more emotional arcs are the ones that I remember and maybe take more pride in. Um, but I mean, again, back to musical theater. Um, Adam Pontepe was a role I always wanted to play, and I had been offered it by a producer in Orlando, Florida, um, many many years ago. And I was getting ready to go into rehearsal, and then he contacts me and says, "Oh, you know, I know I told you you had this role, but um, uh, Robert Goulet's son, Robert Goulet is a famous actor. Uh, Robert Goulet's son became available, and it he's he just would be more of a marquee performer in this role. I'll make it up to you, but I, I need to replace you with this guy." And I was like so bummed that I didn't get to play that role. So years later, when I was producing theater in San Pedro, I I programmed that show and I cast myself so I could finally do that role. But it was it, it was a cool role. It's like a mountain man role and um, seeing some very um, some very uh, sexist uh, songs because it's you know it's a product of its time, uh, very chauvinistic stuff, but uh, but a fun role and uh, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Nice. It's just all fun and places that oh, I'm in charge now. Me. Exactly. Exactly. Well, I mean, you know, and I think the lesson learned there too is that you don't have to wait for someone to give you a part. You know, if you got the gumption, you can produce it, direct it, be in it, you know, cast people to be in it with you. Do the show, do the show you want to do. Don't wait for someone else to bankroll it. Find a way to get it done yourself. And then you use that. You use that that tape, that that evidence that you did that production and work begets work. You know, that's that's a something I firmly believe is that the more you show people you're working, the more stuff you you book yourself doing, the more you're going to book. Because people are gonna say, Well, this guy's working all the time. How do I get him to work for me? You know. If people, if it shows that if people want you, then more people are going to want you. Exactly. Yeah, you become a commodity. It's that it's just like retail, right? It's like if you got a, if you got a table full of shirts, and no one's no one's stopping to look at the shirts or buy them, but you got three employees standing around doing nothing in the store. How do those three employees stand in front of the table and look at the shirts? And all of a sudden, people are going to come out of the mall and line up behind those three people and say, wow, what's 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 up with these shirts, right? Yeah. Before I go to you, anything I didn't ask that you want to go over? No, I, I you were pretty, pretty thorough. Um, yeah, I feel like I didn't ask you a, a lot, but um, yeah, no, I'm, I'm good. Um, yeah, if you have any parting questions, we can cut it at half an hour. Works yeah. for me. Works for you, right? Cool. So, uh, if anything you want to ask me before we end, we can also go do that. But if not, uh, I want to thank you. And where can people find you? You can find me online at um, um, raybuffer.com. Uh, I'm also on IMDb. You can just type Ray Buffer into the uh, search field for IMDb. Um, yeah, and then I'm, uh, you know, I'm happy to follow people or be followed or do shout outs on Instagram. Um, I'm there as the real Ray Buffer. 
not the fake one, the real one. Yes. Thanks. You know, <laughs> for some reason, about a year ago, there were three fake ones. So <laughs> I, I'm I not famous, made it. But, but I felt famous for about five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> made it. Somebody was like, I want to be you. I want to pretend to be you. Yeah, I don't know. I think it was probably one of those one of those Haitian prince scams, you know, <laughs> someone in, 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 you know, imitates you or, or they, uh, they, they're an imposter and then they contact everyone you're friends with and try to get money from them. So it's teach their own, I guess. Yes. Again, thank you. And we can be done. That brings another episode of the Let's Get a Podcast to a close. Again, get for more information about Ray Buffer, by clicking the link in the description below. For next week, I have Stranded Comics to speak about the comic industry. Hope you're doing this day, and I hope to see you there.